Have you ever been stuck troubleshooting an equipment issue in the field? If only you had more information to solve that problem. Now you do, thanks to Watermark. Watermark, a leading manufacturer's representative devoted to giving you concise and informative tips about how you can solve that equipment issue quickly and definitively. Go to eWatermark.net to view their library of troubleshooting videos. That's E as an excellence, Watermark.net. Welcome to Scaling Up, the podcast where we're scaling up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. Hello, Scaling Up Nation. Trace Blackmore here, the host for Scaling Up H2O. And Nation, we have a bunch of water-related conferences that are coming up. But because of the new normal, a lot of these conferences are being held online. So I want to make sure you are in the know so you can plan to attend these conferences that you normally would have to have travel to and all the expenses that incurs with that. Now maybe you can try some of these organizations from a virtual sense to see if those organizations are something that you should get involved with. On July 13th through 16th, the Texas Water Conference, which is normally in Fort Worth, is being held online. So that might be something that interests you. Also, the Association of California Water Agencies Conference has moved online. That's going to be July 28th through 31st. StormCom is still being held, as far as their website says, in Seattle, Washington, August 17th through 19th. The Water Reuse Symposium moved to an online format, September 13th through 16th. And I just checked it out, and the Water Pro Conference is still stating that they are going to meet in person in Phoenix, Arizona, September 14th through 16th. And then, of course, the conference that I can't wait to attend, the Association of Water Technologies Annual Conference, is still going to be held as of now in Louisville, Kentucky, September 30th through October 3rd. So if you are planning on going, I know that they are still selling tickets. I will definitely be at that one. And if you're going to be there, I hope you come find me and give me some show ideas. Give me some information about the show. Just let me know that you listen. I love it when you come up and say that. Uh, WEFTEC, which is another one I'm going to try to attend, that's going to be October 3rd through 7th in New Orleans. And then, of course, our friend James McDonald, a couple of years ago, introduced Industrial Water Week. That's going to be October 5th through 9th. We are going to celebrate each and every day all the areas of industrial water treatment. Every year we do something special during this week. This year will be no different. So stay tuned for that. And I think we will have a lot of fun together. Now, all the things that I mentioned are gonna be on our show notes page. So just simply go to our show notes page. You can click on those items. They'll take you straight to those organizations' pages where you can learn more. And folks, I really think this is a golden opportunity where you can go to a conference at a fraction of the cost because you don't have to travel and you can start learning what these organizations can offer you and what you can start offering these organizations. Well, as you all know, an organization that is very near and dear to my heart is the Association of Water Technologies, and I was president of the AWT back in 2011. And our guest today shares the title of AWT past president with me. Now, he was president in 1995, and his name is Jack Altschuler. 
And Jack has owned a water treatment company. He has sold a water treatment company. He's been involved with the AWT board. Folks, he is one of us. And now he is on version 2.0 of his life. And he is helping other leaders get further faster, to succeed more, to help figure out what they need to do to become more effective. I know you're going to enjoy this interview with Jack Altshuler. My lab partner today is Jack Altshuler of Fully Alive Leadership. Jack, thanks for being with us on Scaling Up H2O. Trace, I'm, I'm so glad to be with you. Thanks for inviting me. Well, it seemed like for a while we always had some reason where either we had technical difficulties or scheduling conflicts. It took a while, but we're finally here. We're finally doing this couple of persistent guys like you and me. That's how it works. I'm glad we're together now. I as well. And, and I'm really excited about this conversation because what you're doing now is, is helping people in leadership, but you have a background in water treatment. So I think you have the perfect mindset of what us water treatment folk need to hear when it comes to leadership. So I'm really excited to to have this conversation today. Oh, that's great. I'm glad to help any way I can. Well, let's get started so the Scaling Up Nation can appreciate you as much as I do. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, I, I began, well, I'm a Miami of Ohio graduate. My, my first job out of school, I was working for a water treatment uh, company, a regional company in Michigan. Uh, as a, uh, a field salesman, I, I was there for two and a half, three years, and I thought, hey, I could do this. <laughs> and I started my own water treatment company, ran that for uh, probably 20 years. And after that, it was time to move on to something else. And I facilitated roundtables of CEOs, focusing on such things as leadership. Halfway through that, I started doing leadership keynotes and workshops. And I've been doing that ever since. Well, Jack, I'm curious. So you got into water treatment and apparently there is life after water treatment. Who knew? No one told me. But I'm curious, how did you get involved in water treatment? You know what? I just, uh, I remember being interviewed for that job as a salesman and uh, I was just fascinated. I got a little uh, techie streak in me and just looked like a wonderful opportunity at the time, it was kind of funny. It was almost a bait and switch because the guy who became my boss did the initial interview and he made it sound like I was going to save the world from pollution. <laughs> well, we do. We do that. Right. No, I, I thought, you know, here I come to save the day. I mean, that's really how he presented it. And I bought it. <laughs> so uh, it was just, just very attractive to me. I, and like I said, I've got a, a techie streak in me. And just really enjoyed uh, the chemistry of it, uh, the hardware of it, uh, and, and most of all is the interaction with the people. And you and I share something that a lot of people do not. You and I are both past presidents of the Association of Water Technologies. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, how did you get involved with the Association of Water Technologies? And then what was that like? I was, you know, I was doing what... Most water treaters are, fa in fact, most small business people do. I was just uh, running it by the seat of my pants uh, and um, was really isolated. Uh, I, had, I had attended the International Water Conference in Pittsburgh once or twice and found it to be entirely dissatisfying. And then one day, I, I through I don't know what means, I heard about AWT. Back then, AWT held uh, conferences in conjunction with the International Water Treatment, the Water Technologies, whatever it's called, uh, in Pittsburgh, because that was big enough to draw lots of water treaters. And if AWT held their conferences in conjunction with that, they'd get better attendance. And all right, I, I gave that a try. I showed up there and was suddenly rubbing elbows with other water treaters like me. And the elbow rubbing conversations were phenomenal. Just wonderful, wonderful bunch of folks, and we were just there helping one another, really. How do you deal with this? What do you do when that happens? And they, they, it was just wholly wonderful. 
and I attended each of the conferences or conventions after that. Not not too long after that, I got asked to sit on the board and made, was in various positions there and wound up president of the association, uh, which, of course, added another dimension to participating in AWT. It was a wonderful sense of service and to have some influence on what we did and how we did it. Awesome. Well, thank you for all the work that you did. I truly believe that I am successful as I am because of some of the opportunities that the Association of Water Technologies opened up. Definitely, I would not have the mentors that I do today had I not been introduced to them at the AWT. So uh, it it is a tremendous resource, and I really appreciate uh, people like yourself that were in the very beginning that created what we now know and use. Well, let me just play off what you just said for a second. I want to pick up on one word in particular, mentors, because I I had exactly the same experience. There were people who had been doing it longer than I was, and everybody had some piece of wisdom I didn't have, and they were so not just willing but eager to share. Uh, there are times when each of us hit some hit some rough patches, and holy smoke, is that just so valuable to somebody who's been there, done that, and also cares. Right. I can't tell you how many times I have called one of my mentors, and the two that come to mind are Jay Farmery and Bruce Ketrick Sr. And I say, you know, guys, I'm having this issue. And they go, oh, well, heavens, don't do that. You're going to have this issue. Right. right. They, they avoid me going through the same catastrophe that they went through, and, and they're able to point me in the right direction. Yeah. And, you know, if uh, and then I also have people that call me that consider me a mentor. It's a it's a two way street, and I've gotten it from both directions. And I I just can't think of a, a better opportunity not only to get information but also to share information. Right, and you could extend that too. I want to want to make it uh, really clear. We're talking about water treatment and and the Association of Water Technologies and. And that's wonderful. And everything we've just said extends to any venue. I know, and I'm thinking about your listeners who aren't water treaters, but but are, are business people looking to create success, make a difference, and all the things that uh, that small business people do. Uh, and everything you just said applies regardless of what their business is. Absolutely. I had my business mentor on the show uh, before. His name is Tim Fulton. He was episode 22. Uh, but I meet with him on a monthly basis. He comes over. He looks at our financials. He asks how things are going in the business. Uh, but what he does, he asks questions. And it's not that he knows anything about running a water treatment business, but he knows about business and he also cares about me. And you put those two things together And he's able to ask questions in a way that I'm able to see the problems at a higher level than what I was looking for or looking at, and then I'm able to solve them. Um, Yeah, I I cannot say enough good things about the mentor-mentee relationship. Yeah, it's wonderful. And actually, it's interesting that you just touched on one of the fully alive leadership practices that I present in my keynotes and workshops, uh, and that is about asking questions questions and specifically ask great questions. A fundamental piece of human beings or human being 101, we are wired when we see a problem to solve a problem. When we're asked a question, we want to come back with an answer, solve the problem. Uh, It's an existential thing with human beings. It's a survival instinct. But here's the problem. When, When we answer questions when we solve problems for other people it's actually disempowering to them and it doesn't bring out their best and 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 you know what when we had the first awt exam uh I'm forgetting what's the name of the uh the cwt the certified water technologist yeah i i sat for the very first one got the highest score and it stood for i don't know three, four years until some guy with a size of a brain the size of Delaware came by and blew me away. But I was I was a pretty smart guy and people would come to me, not pretty smart guy. I knew a bunch of stuff. And people came to me and I was the royal smart person and I really got puffed up presenting my uh, really smart answers and clever solutions. And and it took a while before I figured out that I was actually doing a disservice by 
doing that. I think that a leader's primary job is to bring out the very best of their people, which is to say, it's not your job to be the smartest boy or girl in class. It's your job to make everyone else the smartest boys and girls in class. You know, I love that you said that because one of the positions that I now have with the Association of Water Technologies, so there is life after being on the board, is I work with the Education Committee. And we put on training for other water treaters. And that is the mission that we have. And when we have uh, trainers that do better than others, it always boils down to what you just said. It's the trainers that do exceptionally well are the ones that aren't worried about making themselves look smart or what other people think about them when they leave the room. It's them worrying about how the other people leave the room and how much information they have when they leave. I, I couldn't have said that better. I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to steal the way you say it for how I say it. Please, please, please do. Look, this this is about bringing out people's wisdom, their creativity, their brilliance, and everybody's got it. But when when leaders answer questions, solve problems for those who look to them for leadership, what it says is you can check your brain at the door. I'll do all the thinking for everyone. And that I don't care how smart someone is. You're not smart enough to have the best answers and solutions all the time. We need the best from our people. I, I, when I was facilitating roundtables of CEO, I had a, uh, CEOs, I had a speaker who came in from Alaska, really interesting fella, and he asked the group, why do you hire people? What do you hire people for? And, and the answers were what you can imagine. I hire my accountant to do my accounting. I hire my salespeople to sell. He says, no, you hire people for their brains, for their thinking, for their creativity. Uh, you can get a pair of hands to do any job. That's not enough. We need to bring people to bring all of themselves. And when that, the way that happens is for leaders to get out of the way and let them be the smartest them they can be. In fact, I'll, I'll say it another way. One of the classic mistakes in business is to take the, the, the highest producing salesperson and make them the sales manager, the sales team leader. And it always, always, always fails. And the reason it fails is because of the difference between uh, being a leader and being a doer, which is what the wine salespeople are, for example. When we're a, when we're a doer, we're, we're all about maximizing our success. I want to sell more because I'm going to get more that way. But when you're a leader, it's not about being not about all about yourself. It's about making everyone else successful. The leader's success comes in making everyone else successful. Your comment reminds me of the book, The E-Myth, where, you know, I, I think he uses the plumber as an example in that book. And the plumber gets tired of working for somebody else. And he's this expert plumber. And then he applies what he knows as a plumber, but he doesn't know how to run the business. So the business doesn't, doesn't go that way. So we're obviously talking about what you are doing now. So audience, I want to transition over that Jack is now, he helps leaders be better leaders. And again, as I mentioned at the top of the show, you have a very unique perspective because you didn't only run a water treatment company, it was a very successful water treatment company. And now you're helping other leaders in all industries be successful. So I'm curious, how did you make that transition? And what are you doing now? Well, yeah, um, <laughs> the transition really came to, uh, <laughs> it's a human being thing. Uh, I, I ran my business for 25 years and uh lots of fun along the way challenges some really rough spots and i eventually got to the point where i was doing the same things i had done but it just wasn't fun anymore and i wanted to i wanted it to be fun and there was a, a deeper thing behind it as well it really matters to me to give back to make a difference for other people and for a while i rationalized well listen to people in my business that have jobs and their families are better because of that i'm helping my customers in all the ways that we help customers and and i told myself that but at some point it just stopped working i needed to be much more direct in helping people and and i just decided it's time to leave this party i don't know what i'm going to do next but it's time to move on so i sold the business and spent some time looking into what i would do next and wound up 
in that executive roundtable facilitation business. At the time, it was called a, a group chairman working under the auspices of tech, the executive committee. It's been rebranded as Vistage, V-I-S-T-A-G-E International. And I had three roundtables of uh, CEOs for 10 years. And somewhere in the middle of that, I just got this bug about leadership. I just had some insights that I really hadn't had before, some clarity about what makes for great leaders, partly by hearing wonderful speakers who came to my group, partly by uh, by by coaching all my CEOs and hearing what they had to say, it was it was a marvelous learning experience. And I just had this sense of you know if I put this together the right way, I think I can help some folks. And so I put together a workshop and I started delivering that workshop. And it's expanded, of course, into into keynotes. And at some point along the way, it was just too much to do both the the facilitation of roundtables of CEOs and doing all the speaking I was doing. And it was time to pick one path, not both paths. And uh, and I transitioned to full-time speaking. So that's how I got where I am. And I, it matters to me to give back, to help people, to make a difference. So that's what I'm doing. Well, that's awesome. And again, something else, one other thing that we have in common, I've been involved with Vistage for eight years now. Have you? Yeah. So that's actually where I met my my business coach, Tim Fulton. <laughs> Fantastic. And, and Tim sounds like he has transitioned like you have. Uh, he has stepped down from being our chair. Uh, he still has some some private clients. Uh, but what he's doing is he's trying to go and work more one-on-one with leaders. And he's speaking with other groups about uh, how they can do more in leadership. So, th- so there you go. Small world. How about it? Well, your message is being fully alive, your company fully alive leadership. Right. That can't be just named that. I want to talk about, you know, what that actually means and the message that you share with others. Well, here's the overriding, overriding message. It's about how leaders influence their people. And they influence their people by more, more than anything else by the way they show up. So I'll give you a negative example of that. When a, when the boss comes walking in all grumpy, maybe he was cut off in traffic, maybe the dog bit his ankle on the way out the door, whatever it is. When the dog comes in grumpy, everybody sees it, everybody knows it, and it just sends a chill of fear down everyone's spine. You know, did we lose the big customer? Uh, are we going down? Am I going to get laid off? The talk around the water cooler is not happy talk. And the point here is that people always notice how the leader shows up. In a study uh, that was done just a couple of years ago, they, they, it was published in the uh, Harvard Business Review blog about what makes for a, a bad boss. Again, we're in this inverse world for a moment. Uh, what makes for a bad boss? The number one reason American employees say my boss is a bad boss is a failure to inspire owing to a lack of energy and enthusiasm. And to put that into just more common language, my boss is a slug and it bums me out. So, uh, who likes slugs? Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, would you want to follow somebody who is kind of lifeless and disinterested and uninspired in him, him or herself? And I suspect you wouldn't want to do that. And it's the same thing for the people who look to you or me or anyone for leadership. We want our we want we want our leader to be to, to have some enthusiasm for what we're doing. I want to be inspired by your boss. And if you show up like a slug, it doesn't work so well. But if you show up with energy and enthusiasm, yeah, I'm all about it. So this fully alive thing, it's not just some esoteric notion that you know, some feel-good, touchy-feely realm. It, this is hard, hard impact stuff. If the boss shows up with energy and enthusiasm, if the boss shows up fully alive, which is to say right here, right now, present, prepared to be here and no place else, Guess what? So will I. And that's how all the good stuff happens. I interviewed somebody on episode 44 that was a Chick-fil-A franchise owner. His name was Daniel Perry. And he said that was the most important part of his day when he drove up to his restaurant and was getting out of the car. He had to make sure that he had a positive mindset. He said that he called it a wake. And he said whatever he carried in with him had a wake behind him and every one of his employees was going to get caught in that wake. And he wanted to make sure that it wasn't negative because 
then everybody has a bad attitude that day and they're wondering, what's going on? Is the store sales down? Am I not going to have a job tomorrow? That's right. So let me ask, so what are some of the ways that you would suggest to the people that you work for that, so now you're talking to, to me and all the business owners out there, we're now in our cars and we're getting ready to get out and walk into our companies. What should we be thinking about? Well, let me put it this way. Um, and the, the, the message is be here, be right here, right now. And, and it has huge impact. Uh, I mean, you know, when someone's talking with you and you're talking to them and they're only giving you half of their attention, you know, they're thinking about something else while you're talking. And I'm guessing you don't like that very much. We human beings want those we're with to give us their full attention while they're with us. And that, that's just another piece of that fully alive thing. Let me put it to you this way in a pair, in a Zen two-question pair. The first question of the two-question pair is, where are you? And the answer is, you're here. Wherever here is, that's where you are. We can all take ourselves someplace else in our mind. We do it all the time, but we're not there. We're here. So where are you? You're here. And the second question of the two-question pair is, what time is it? Well, it's now. It's right now. It's yesterday. Before is gone. Uh, the future isn't here yet. All you have is now. In fact, all you have is here and now. We have a way of absenting from uh, ourselves from that, and nothing good comes from that. For the for the leader who's driving to work, getting out of their car, what should they be thinking about? Think about being right here. Think about walking across the parking lot because that's where you are. That's what that's what's happening now. When you say hello to the receptionist on the way in, say hello and be there and mean it. It's about being present with people. And I will extend that further. Nothing ever happens at any other place or any other time. It's always happening right here, right now. It's where everything happens. And that's how great leaders show up. In my keynotes and workshops, I'll ask for a volunteer to talk about a great leader they've had. And there are a few things that, are, that, that I hear, three in particular that I, that I hear consistently. My great leader was this way. The number one thing is when they're with me, they were right here with me, regardless of how many other things were, were tugging at their sleeve. When they were with me, they were just with me. So that's what great leaders do. That's what your listeners should be thinking about as they walk in from their cars. How can I be right here right now? Just focus in and be right here. You know, the beauty of that is the simplicity of that. And you're right. Everything that happens happens now. But we're worried about what's happened yesterday. The, the phone call that we got yesterday at three o'clock that we're still trying to make sure that, that we can resolve the future of how we're going to resolve it. But everything that we're doing today, the people that we're ignoring or not giving our attention or even worse, our, our half attention to pretending like we're listening to them, that's where the damage is done or that's where the success starts. That, well, that's, that's exactly right. That's where the really strong relationships are built or that's where they're destroyed. I'm trying to remember when you spoke at the Association of Water Technologies Conference. I saw you as in the audience. I think we were at the Broadmoor. Was that right? Well, I remember when we were at the Broadmoor, but uh, I don't think I spoke when we were there. Uh, I think it was someplace else. Okay, so I'm, I'm forgetting where we were, but you did speak with AWT and I was there. I got that part right. Yes, you did. And during that, I do remember that you asked for an audience member to come up on stage and they did exactly that. They explained all these things, and it was all about how they felt. Mm -hmm. And I remember not too long after that, I read a book uh, about Walt Disney, and that was the theme. It was about all the other leaders that he created in his organization, and they were all talking about how Walt made them feel, and as a result, they were able to be successful at what they did. Exactly. So, you, you know, uh, AWT, we, we had a uh, convention in Orlando on the Disney property, and they, they arranged to have a service Disney-style seminar in, in the morning, I think the day before the convention started. And I will tell you, it was all about what, what can we do to so that our guests, that is to say, 
people coming to the park for the day have the greatest experience so that they get the, the very best from their experience here. That is to say, how did you feel going to Disney? And universally, people walk out of there and say, oh, this is wonderful. And it was all about how the Disney folks made people feel by being there. Yeah, if you had on your list that you wanted to go to a theme park and it was just a theme park, you wouldn't pick Disney because that's probably the most expensive theme park that you could go to. Yes. But if you wanted an experience or if you interviewed people that went to another theme park versus they took their family to Disney, you're paying for that experience. That's why it's probably more, but also you're getting what you're going for if that's what you're looking for. Yeah, yeah. And they do an exceptional job of that. Well, they do. And you know what? Actually, it's a, it might be useful to flesh that out just a little bit. During that service business style uh, 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 seminar that they put on, one of the things that, what, that they set up was to imagine that you're one of the people at the booth where we're you know, selling tickets to people to come into the park for the day. Imagine it's mom and dad and the kids, and they have saved for 50 weeks to be able to bring the kids to, to Disney World. And the day is 59 degrees and drizzling. It is exactly what they didn't want. And they come up to you at your booth and dad is going to buy the tickets and he is grumpy. He is unhappy. He's complaining to you. The weather stinks. This isn't what we wanted. How would you handle that as the person in the booth? Are you asking? Yeah, yeah. Well, I would think most people in most other companies was their job is just to sell them a ticket and they would sell them the ticket. I imagine that Disney is about creating the experience and they are prepared for this grumpy guy coming up to their window. They've already talked about it. They know what to do. And their job is not only to sell them the ticket, but make sure that they got the experience that they planned for in that 50 weeks of savings. Right, right. And in fact, here's what the Disney people are trained to do. When dad's there and he is just, man, he's so upset. The weather stinks. They're going to be chilly all day and wet. And the, the ticket person is trained to say, oh, I'm sorry. I, I understand. I'm so sorry. All you can do is care. That's it. You can't change the weather from your ticket booth, <laughs> but, but you can care about their circumstances and it makes everything better. And that experience that you mentioned gets better instantly for them. They walk out of there with that, that, well, how do you make them feel? You make them, make them feel that you care about them. And it's got to come from a genuine place. But, but to put it into other terms, in a business terms, it's the same message. The Towers Watson organization is a global HR consulting firm. And they do an employee engagement survey every year. And what they found is the number one driver of employee engagement is the belief that the boss cares about them. That's the biggest driver of engagement. It's how do you make people feel? And the, and the best thing you can do is to let people know that you care about them. Yeah, I was just reading something in Inc. Magazine this week, and it said, you know, people will leave jobs for more money all the time, but it's very rare that people will leave when they feel purpose. And when they drilled down into what purpose was, it was they felt a connection to that organization and they felt that that organization cared about them. And that was the root for that connection. There you are. Exactly right. Purpose matters. It absolutely does. But even with great purpose, boss, if you don't care about me, you know what? I don't care about you so much either. But if you do care about me, I almost certainly care about you. And what the studies have shown is that that translates into action. You care about me, so I care about you. And the last thing I'd ever want to do, boss, is to let you down. I'll do whatever it takes. If you've ever had a great leader, you know what I'm talking about. You don't want to let that person down. Absolutely. Jack, I got out my notes when we started talking and we said, hey, let's do a, this podcast together. When I went to your uh, to your training, your keynote uh, that you did for AWT, and I looked on the notes and I saw a big theme that you had is um, you know, what we're talking about today. 
But I think one of the reasons that people don't do what we're talking about today is you say that stuff just gets in the way. And you talked a lot about stuff and how to handle that stuff. So I want to do this stuff. It really means a lot to me, but all this stuff is getting in my way. What do I do? Well, let's differentiate first. The stuff that gets in our way that I focus on is a specific kind of stuff. Everyone has obstacles drop in their lap. Everybody does. In the water treatment business, it's the, the next electronic gadget that wants to take away your industrial water treatment business. Um, and, and okay, we'll deal with those things. And if you'd like to talk about, talk about that, I'd be glad to. But the, the, the stuff that gets in our way that's actually more powerful than that are the self-imposed obstacles, the, 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 the boulders we put in the middle of our path. And, and the, the key to dealing with them, to getting them out of the way, to removing the obstacle, is to recognize that they exist. We human beings have a way of, of sucking up various self-limiting notions we don't even know it's happening. So here's, here's an example. It's the I can't story. Uh, yeah, I read the books too. There's no I can't, there's just I will and I won't. And that's great and it's true and we still... I don't know how it happens. The world has some methodology that puts the I can't messages into our heads, and we don't know what's happening. It's it's an insidious thing. It's just happening, and it gets planted. You know, I uh, just put it on a simple basis. I can't lose that extra 10 pounds. Uh, I can't find the right person from the position I need to fill. I can't deal with my brother-in-law's drinking. I can't, whatever the story is. We have this assumption of I can't and we disempower ourselves. The trick to getting past that is to recognize that it exists because once we verbalize it to ourselves, it's no longer an I can't story. We recognize it for the fraud that it is. There, no, that way, that's not true. That's not true that I can't deal with my brother-in-law, can't find the right people. I'm just going to have to do some things differently, but I can do them. The only question is, will I or won't I? And once you've uncovered that I can't story, it'll, it will transfer over to will or won't, and you'll know the best answer for yourself instantly. We always do. The trick is taking some time to think about how am I limiting myself. So that's the, that's the kind of obstacles that I focus in on. And really, at the end of the day, it's always about uncovering some self-limiting story. Can you give us an example of how you would work with a client or maybe an attendee at one of your conferences that's struggling with that? What I what I typically do in my workshops is I'll I'll use myself as an example, tell them a really significant I can't story in my own life and how uncovering it made all the difference. Uh, and then I'll set them to work thinking about well, what is the I can't story that limits you? And I'll just We'll just pause for a while, any whatever number of minutes. I'll look around the room when everybody's done writing down their, I mean, whatever they discovered. Then we'll pick it up again and and talk about it. And and is it really true that you can't? And of course, the answer is always no. It's not, it's not true. I've been telling myself that, but no, it's not true that I can't. So I, I would work that way. I'm I'm not doing a lot of one-on-one coaching. Uh, any longer but but when I did do one-on-one coaching and we would do an exercise just like this we would poke at that and where where these self-limiting stories come from is not important what is important is what will you do about it what actions will you take and we focus in on what we what what the individual can do to make things move in the direction they want them to move and literally put together an action plan now, you mentioned specifically that you have firsthand knowledge of some of the issues that plague us water treaters. Do you mind talking a little bit about that? You know, Trace, I, what, I mentioned one before. I, they, they were, in my time with AWT, there were multiple iterations of the latest gadget, and it was impacting businesses. There's no question about it that it was. But there was a, one of the things that I noticed is that people's reaction was oftentimes some some form of the sky is falling, go tell the king. 
um, and and it simply wasn't true. Yeah, yes, it will have some impact, but nobody is going to go belly up because of the the, the next water magnet. Uh, it's it's a matter of picking ourselves up and okay, things have changed. I'm going to have to be more aggressive about acquiring new customers. So it's about the recognition of of the challenges that we face and making a positive decision to do something about it rather than wringing hands and woe is me. So to put it in Stephen Covey's terms, to be more proactive rather than reactive. Right, exactly. Uh, you know, a natural reaction to a threat is to defend, maybe attack, but definitely defend. And typically that's, that's not real useful. It's, it's kind of like uh, dealing with a challenge by downsizing more and more. Cut expenses, cut expenses, cut expenses. I mean, cutting unnecessary expenses, obviously, is a good business practice. But cutting all the expenses as though that's going to save a company, no, it just, just stretches out the pain until – what's the, the Hemingway response to how did you go bankrupt? Slowly, then suddenly. Right. So I'm curious, is that, are we wired that way that we take everything negative? Is, is that a defense mechanism? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it is. It is. A, it's a defense mechanism. It's a self-preservation mechanism. So in terms of leadership, the key is to be self-aware enough to, to be aware that, yeah, I may have a sphere response at times. That doesn't make that the best thing for me to do, to sit and be afraid. To be uh, protective, maybe the answer is to get out there and and uh, further out on the limb where there's where the, where there are more apples hanging. Uh, there's a natural protective thing we have. We have a way of uh, of wanting to protect ourselves, our tribe, whatever it is. But fear is typically not a good motivator. It often leads us in the wrong direction, in a self destructive direction. My biology is not very good, and I'm trying to remember. I read a book, and I can't remember what it was named, but they were talking about the physiology of the brain and how fear comes from a certain part of the brain that allows us to basically says, yes, that's fear. I need to run so I can uh, make sure that I live tomorrow. And there, there's nothing else that happens in the brain where if we can get past that, uh, we can actually move it to another part of the brain. I can't remember what those two were called, but that's where creative thought comes from. And if we stay in that fear, then we're never getting creative about how we're going to solve the actual problem that we're fearful of. Right, right. The, the amygdala is the part that you're talking about. It's there the you brain, go. The brain stem. It's, the, it's commonly called the reptile brain. It's the oldest part of the brain. It has only four functions, and fight or flight is one of them. It's dealing with uh, a, a threat. I mean, there, there are times when cavemen had to recognize, yes, that's a saber-toothed tiger. He's going to eat me if I stand here. Uh, and there, but there's no time for that rational thought. We need to move right now. And so the amygdala floods our brains with the, with these flight, uh, uh, messages literally at 10 times the rate that our rational brain can evaluate and rationalize. And well, let's see, if I do this, then that will happen. If I do that, this other will happen. There's no time for that. So the amygdala is designed to get us into action right now. And, and it's very, very powerful. Now, translating that, though, into modern-day life and leading a company, uh, we can have those responses. The problem that we have is that there's only one thing. There's either fear or not fear. And if there's fear, it's an existential reaction. We re react to everything. It's either fear or it's not. So it doesn't have to be a saber-toothed tiger. Back to the original example, it could just be the next water treatment uh, gadget. But we always react with our fear in the same way. And, and, and the issue is to force ourselves to be rational and to deal with things in a sensible fashion. And no, it isn't easy. I mean, when you're in the midst of an emotional argument, for example, how rational do you think you can be? Exactly. I mean, do, you think there's, do you think there's any chance I could talk sense into you? And they, of course, there isn't. We have to get past that, that knee-jerk fight or flight response 
in order to be rational. And as a leader, I hate to say this, this is so mean, but it's the truth. When we agree to become leader, we give up the right to fall to pieces and to go running in circles and back to what I said before, the screaming, the sky is falling, go tell the king. No, I think that's fair. We are responsible for other people beyond ourselves. And if, if we can't lead, then we don't deserve the title of leader. Yeah. Yeah. In my programs, uh, uh, Troy, uh, Trace, I, I use uh, some movie clips. And one of the ones I use is from the movie Captain Phillips. And then there's Somali pirates have, uh, have boarded this merchant vessel that's unarmed. And Captain Phillips stays clear-headed and gives instruction to his crew over the intercom. Now, what would happen if instead of saying giving them rational instructions, you know, just don't don't let them know what the what the critical items on the ship are and and stay hidden until help help uh, arrives. If he instead of that he falls to people and screams, "Oh my God, we're all going to die!" <laughs> you know, and that just doesn't work well. So the message here is be their confident captain. The leader has to be the confident captain at all times. And I mean all the time, even when it looks like there's no solution. The people following that leader need to know that their captain is confident in them. We don't have a solution now, but what I do know is that we're just the people to figure this out. Got to be their confident captain. You don't get to fall to pieces when you're the leader. I can't help but thinking there's some listeners out there thinking, okay, well, this is all great stuff, but it's not necessarily for me because I'm not the leader of the company. And that makes me think of another guest that I had on, I think he was episode 36. It was Clay Scroggins. He wrote a book called How to Lead When You're Not in Charge. And his book was, you might not realize it, but you're in charge of a lot of stuff. So everybody out there is a leader and this applies to everybody. It does. Leadership will move. It's not just formal positions. Sometimes it's the quietest person at the table who's been listening, taking things in, and finally speaks. And it's one of those, like that old commercial, the E.F. Hutton thing, everyone listens. Everybody quiets down and listens to what that individual has to say, and he gives a completely new and most useful perspective on how to deal with whatever we're dealing with and what direction to go. And in that moment, that individual is the leader. I don't care who's standing at the front of the room with a flip chart marker in his hand. Uh, that individual is the leader in that room in that moment. We affect people in so many different ways, and leadership moves around. So I like the concept of how to be a leader even when you're not a leader or whatever the title of the book was. It, it's, it's not about formal position. It's about being with people, and sometimes each one of us steps up and we're the leader. Jack, you working with leaders, uh, I'm sure you have heard of what I'm getting ready to bring up. I just came from the Association of Water Technologies conference in Palm Springs. And the year before that, when it was in Orlando, we were talking about the same thing. Uh, I've had guests on my show that have talked about this issue. But what I'm, what I'm referring to is we have different generations working in the same workplace. And we work in that workplace differently. I think the majority of water treatment companies are probably baby boomers and Gen Xers, and they look at work ethic differently and the tools they use differently. And then we have this new group called millennials that are entering the workforce. And they're not necessarily communicating well together. I'm sure that this is a topic that you've dealt with before. And I'm curious, what have you heard and what advice do you have for the Scaling Up Nation on how we can deal with it better? Yeah, well, yes, I do. Uh, in my keynotes uh, and workshops, I'll ask people what their biggest leadership challenge is. And this is one of the biggest ones. It comes up every time I ask the question. And and it's basically how to deal with millennials. The, the boomers and Gen Xers who are very much like boomers uh, just don't know how to deal with them. You know, I'll ask people, uh, put your hand in the air if uh, if millennials are, are alien beings from another planet. And everyone laughs, of course, and they put a hand up. And the answer is no, they're not. They are generationally different, but there's nothing alien about them. The experts on this, now I'm no expert, but I've heard this from experts. There are something like five different generation types, and they just recycle. 
And the, 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 the millennials are one of those types. And they value the same things as the other generations, but they put different emphasis on the different things. So, for example, doing meaningful work, everybody wants to do meaningful work. But it's more important to millennials to do meaningful work than that of the other generations that are in the workforce now. So you better let your people know that not only are they doing meaningful work, but here's how they contribute to something good happening. You better do that or the millennials will go someplace where someone does do that for them. So you want to retain people, let them know how they contribute to something good happening. I talked before about this ask great questions piece. Well, there's a companion piece that goes with it, and that is listen. Really listen. Seek to understand. Listen solely for comprehension. Listen all the way through what someone has to say. And that means you don't check out halfway through what they're saying to formulate your response. And yes, we all do that. <laughs> but, uh, but listen all the way through. We human beings like being listened to. We really like that. So, so just because that, that cell phone buzzes, don't check to see who's texting you. Just leave it alone. It'll be there for you when you're done with a conversation. But when you're talking with someone, listen to them as they are talking, seeking to understand. That will do a couple of things. One is they'll get the message that you care about them because you're, you're really listening to them. David Oxberg says it this way. He says, being listened to is so close to being loved that most people cannot tell the difference. It's that powerful. We human beings like being listened to. And, and th there's so much good that comes from that. You want your millennials to care about your business? Well, you're the leader. You go first. You care about them first. That's where the power is. And, and what that will do is to let them know that you understand them and care about them. And they, in turn, will likely care about you. Show respect, show caring. Just listen. It's one of the most powerful things leaders can do. Jack, we've covered a lot of territory here. I am curious, what is the one thing that you want to make sure that the Scaling Up Nation gets from this interview? Trace, it, it's just so elegantly simple. Here it is. Wake up. <laughs> Wake up. You're here right now. Stop being reactive and be proactive. You have it in you to do it. It's just a choice, and you're going to have to be awake to do it. So wake up and, and recognize that we're, we're wired to have knee-jerk reactions to things, and you don't have to do that. Wake up. Wake up. And I'm sure you have woken a lot of our listeners up. They're thinking, wait a second. That sounds like me. I'm worrying about yesterday. I'm not in today. I need to do something about it. And I'm sure there are listeners out there that want to find out more about what you do and how you do it. What do they need to do to find that information? Yeah, thanks for asking. You know, I do, I do keynotes for associations. I work with executive teams, whole companies doing uh, both uh, uh, keynotes and, and uh, half-day leadership workshops. Uh, to get in touch with me, it's just really so simple. You go to my website, FullyAliveLeadership.com. That's it. You'll, you'll find the, the contact tab there. Just go there and shoot me a note and I'll respond. Now, Nation, for those of you that are driving, please keep your hands on 10 and 2. I will make sure to put that information on the show notes page so it will be waiting for you. Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm not interested in anyone dying just to write down a web, <laughs> web address. Come on. Safety first. Well, Jack, I'm not quite done with you yet. The Scaling Up Nation has a few lightning round questions for you. So are you ready for the lightning round? I have no idea. We'll find out. <laughs> All right. Let's see how it goes. So you now have the ability to go back in time to the first day. And actually, you have the ability to do this twice because I'm going to ask this two different ways. One, you're going to go back to your first day as a water treater, and I want to know what advice do you give yourself, and I also want to know if you could go back to your first day where you were facilitating groups and discussions like the ones that we had today, what advice would you give for that? <laughs> the first part of that, the lesson that was, it was hard learned. But it, the, the, the lesson that I learned is it's all about them. It's not about me. It's about them. 
How can I make things better for them? I mean, it's like that listening thing. It makes it better for other people. It also makes it better for me, but it makes it better for others. Boy, when I started in water treatment, I'd have been a whole lot less focused on the techie stuff and far more focused on the people I was serving. So the, the second part, when I started facilitating, the, the most valuable thing is learning the most valuable thing. <laughs> and that is uh, in, in facilitating roundtables of CEOs or in one-to-one coaching, either way, the real value comes from saying the stuff that's hard to say, asking the hard question that might be rejected. Somebody's going to feel bad, might not even like me if I ask this really challenging question. But that's where the value is, when we tell the truth in that way. So the advice I would give myself or anyone else in that position is be brave, step up, say the thing that's hard to say, because that's where the, that's where the greatest value lies. What are the last few books that you've read? Last few books. Oh, gosh. I, I read a lot of, uh, of nonfiction stuff. I'm kind of a political junkie, so I read stuff like that. And sometimes I just read for fun. Wow. Names of books. <laughs> I like uh, Lee Branham's book, Re-Engaged, about engagement. Lee is a, just a genius about engagement. Well, Jackie, you might not know this, but Hollywood uses the Scaling Up H2O podcast to figure out what their next movie script is going to be. So they have listened to this. They are in the action of writing a script about your life. Who plays you? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I don't know where your questions came from, Trace, but they're fun. Uh, Who plays me? Uh, Brad Pitt. Well, there you go. I think there's uh, there's a lot to uh, interpret through that answer. We think highly of ourselves, don't we, Jack? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, yes. <laughs> All right. My final question, then you are out of the hot seat. You now can talk to anybody throughout time. Who would it be with and why? Oh, how many thousand names can I come up with? Uh, just, I mean, is there a limit on this? Wow. Uh, ideally one. It is a, it is a limited uh, show, but you can come up with one. We'll see how you do. All right. Try Galileo. Okay. Galileo, because he had the courage to seek the truth and to insist upon it. Very deep. <laughs> right. He was a very strong man. You know, you don't get it. He was lucky that he even survived what he did. He was, uh, it was uh, quite, quite inspiring knowing his story. And he has an Indigo Girls song named after him. How about that? Doesn't doesn't get any better than that. (laughs) Well, Jack, I want to thank you for coming on Scaling Up H2. I want to thank you for all the scheduling issues you dealt with, for the technical difficulties that you dealt with. We finally made it through that, and it was a great interview. And I know for a fact that you have helped many people out there in the Scaling Up Nation. Oh, it's very gratifying. It's uh, it's all it's all about that, isn't it? How can we help? How can we give back? How can we how can we pay it forward? Well, Jack, thanks so much for coming on the show. Oh, it's great, Trace. Thanks so much for having me, Jack. Thanks again for coming on Scaling Up H Two O. It's always cool when we interview somebody that has a foundation in water treatment, but they're in another sector. So we really appreciate you sharing that perspective and, you know, so much stuff that we can take from that interview. You know, I met Jack years ago when he was a keynote speaker at the Association of Water Technologies. Now, when he was president in 1995, that was a little bit before my time in AWT, but I did meet Jack at a conference. I've seen Jack a couple of times over the years, and uh, Jack is just a great speaker, and he's got a book too. It's called Engagement, and if you go to our show notes page, you can see some more information on his book and how to order it. And folks, I got to tell you, he's just uh, a really interesting guy. If you go to his YouTube channel, you can see uh, some of his keynotes. He's just really good at what he does. 
I can't help but think about the seven habits of highly effective people as I was talking to Jack. And the three habits that come out most of all, habit one, being proactive. Folks, we have a choice to be proactive and not react to things. We have certain characteristics that allow us to come up out of the experience as it's happening, and we can now choose what our response is going to be. Now, if you've read The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Dr. Covey says that that proactive muscle will atrophy if you don't normally use it. So if you're not used to choosing your response, you're just used to reacting when something is to happen to you, it's difficult to get that muscle trained. But if we take responsibility and realize that we can choose every action that we do, I can't think of another thought that is more empowering. The other habit that I'm thinking of is habit five, and that's seeking first to understand before we're understood. And folks, I have to tell you, this is the hardest habit for me to practice. I don't think I will ever master it. I am always practicing it. But I truly want to understand what the other person is saying And I want them to understand that, not think that I'm trying to manipulate them. And what I found is in a situation like that, when I ask somebody to go first, rather than them hearing my point of view, they're able to get their point across. And then when I validate what they've said by paraphrasing what they've said or asking for agreement and how I understood their statement, they're now able to listen to what you have to say. And folks, for those knockout, drag out arguments that you've had with people, I am sure that once you've solved it, you've realized that you weren't that far off from center of each other. So if we can just learn to listen to each other, to understand each other, I think a lot of the issues that we have can be solved before they get too bad. The last habit that I kept thinking about when we were talking with Jack was synergizing. Folks, Two people can get things done more efficiently than one person can by themselves. Now, when you put a team together, that multiplies. So synergy is the product of two or more people working together towards a common goal, and they can achieve more together than they can by themselves. There's an analogy that Dr. Covey uses where two two two-by-fours in construction can actually hold more weight than the two can by themselves added together. So When you translate that to what we can do when we're working with each other, when we understand each other and the other side understands that you understand them, and then we choose to be proactive when stimulus happens to us, I really think Jack's message hits home. So folks, I am going to ask you that if you have not subscribed to Scaling Up H2O, please do that right now. I know we have a lot of subscribers out there, but some people just come and visit us as they remember to check the podcast. Folks, life is a lot easier when you subscribe. It comes straight to you. It lets you know that there is a new podcast there waiting for you and you don't have to do anything. So you can subscribe on any of your favorite podcast players. Also, if you don't mind going into the comment section on whatever podcast player that you use and leave a comment, that really does help Scaling Up H2O. Especially with iTunes, they use comments to help boost ratings. When they boost the ratings, more people can find Scaling Up H2O. And folks, that means we have more people listening to us. That means we have more people feeding into the show, giving us some great suggestions. So I hope you can help me with that. And I also hope you have a great week. And next week, I will bring a brand new episode of Scaling Up H2O straight 
to you. Have a great week, folks. If only I had a secret weapon to help me become more successful. When was the last time you thought that? Well, Nation, I might have the answer to that very thought. It is the Rising Tide Mastermind. The Rising Tide Mastermind is where like-minded individuals get together for the simple fact that we want each other to become more successful. We do that through reading books. We do that with asking each other questions. We do that with bringing issues to each other so we can each weigh in and give the person with the issue information that they may not have. Folks, this is a group of high performers. This is a group that will get you to the next level. If you wanna find out more about the Rising Tide Mastermind, go to scalinguph2o.com to see if this group is right for you.